when a person thinks of church, the concept of church, depending on who you talk to, different ideas come into their mind, their head, their heart. To some people, church is an institution. That's what it was to me growing up. It was a place that had a certain feel to it, certain windows, stained glass windows. The clergy wore robes, and I probably don't fit the mold of the average clergyman. But to me, it was simply a large institution. As much as I tried to, and I studied, and I went through classes, and spent years asking questions, it didn't seem to connect the way God was presented to me as a child, as a kid, and then as a teenager. It just didn't connect. It wasn't relevant. In the New Testament, Jesus said to Peter and to the rest of the disciples, I will build my church. The church of Jesus Christ has Jesus Christ at the center. Not any man, not any pastor, not any headship, vicar, pope, anyone. Just Jesus Christ. And the church is comprised of people all over the world, different races, different languages, that trust personally in Jesus Christ. They have given their lives to Him. They've surrendered to Him. Now, there's a lot of people in this world that haven't yet heard the gospel. And my challenge to us as a fellowship, as a group gathered here tonight, if you're going to make any resolution, make a resolution with the help of Christ, with the help of the Holy Spirit, to tell the world about Jesus Christ, to tell the world the good news. I think a lot of the church, even the American church, the American people haven't heard the true gospel. It's been cluttered. That Jesus died on the cross for sins, rose again from the dead for our justification, ascended to the right hand of God, lives today, and can change lives. He lived the perfect life that you could never live, and then He died in our place on the cross. And when people trust in Him, the guilt is removed. Now, we're going to go to India here in a few weeks. Excuse me, in a few days. It was a few weeks a few weeks ago, wasn't it? Time flies when you're having a great time. And by and large, the people of India struggle under a weight of their own guilt, their own sin. They're trying to atone it away. They hope that by reincarnation, through uh, whatever acts they perform, that they will be able to attain to a higher level the next go-around, the next lifespan. The whole concept of forgiveness, a new start, is alien to so many of them. So when they hear that somebody came, God in human flesh, to take away their sins, to give them new life, a new start, it is revolutionary to them. And so we pray that you will pray for us, support us in prayer, because it is spiritual warfare where we're going. In our fellowship, we have sort of a little phrase that we like to give out every now and then to get people's minds oriented toward the purpose of the church. It's... Upreach, inreach, outreach. Upreach is worship. Inreach is body ministry. Outreach is evangelism. We need, first of all, to be connected well to God, to worship God, to learn how to love and serve God through the Word, etc. Then we have inreach. We feed each other. We bless each other. We build each other up in the communion of the saints. But then there's a third aspect of it, and that's outreach. And all three of them go together. 
Sometimes you can get groups that only focus on worship, other groups that only focus on discipleship, and other groups that only focus on outreach. We need all of them in a beautiful balance. When you're rightly connected to God through upreach, you have a vital relationship with Him on a daily basis. With that kind of power going through you, that kind of connection, it's easy to build others up. You've got the fuel. You're connected to God. He empowers you. And then you have the wherewithal to go out into the world and share the gospel. And so, as a commitment, ask God, Lord, help me to lead others to Christ this year. Or at least to influence people, to plant seeds, to be bolder, to not be ashamed of the gospel. You know, the Bible says that God has chosen the foolish things of this world to confound or put to shame the wise. What could be more foolish than what we're doing here tonight? in so many people's eyes, and yet God can even use that, and God can use anything you have, any gift, surrender to Him. Your music, your administrative skills, organizational skills, the things that you do now to earn a living, you could surrender them to the kingdom and just say, Lord, how could I use them effectively to build up the body of Christ and to tell the world about Jesus Christ? Almost every Christian I've ever met loves the gospel. Oh, they say, yes, Jesus did die for me. It is exciting. But I find that not every Christian is excited about sharing the gospel. We're excited about the gospel. That's how we got saved. But I don't know. Me share the gospel? I don't think. I think that's Billy Graham's job. Well, that's your job. That's what you're paid to do. No, it's our commission. Evangelism is our commission. It's been noted that 95% of all Christians have never once led another person to Christ. Now, that's not to, to put a guilt burden or a trip on you. But you could say, Lord, what is my part in world evangelism? Is it supporting those who are going? Is it praying for those? Is it perhaps just sharing my lifestyle and words when you open the door? But ask God to open the door. And then watch out in a good way. Watch out. Because God will open the doors and you'll have people ask you questions. You'll have opportunities all around you. Let me read a, a, a quick clip from the book of uh, 1 Thessalonians. This is a brand new church that Paul writes to. They had not been in existence very long. Paul visited the city of Thessalonica, shared to the Jews in the synagogues, to the Gentiles. Eventually, a church was planted in that area. And after a short period of time, listen to Paul's letter. He said, You became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. For from you, from you, this infant, small, brand new church, the word of the Lord has sounded forth not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. Here's a young church that received the gospel and then shared the gospel. Now, here's my challenge. We who are receivers need to become transmitters. We've received it. We rejoice in it. We love the gospel. It's changed our lives. But once receiving the gospel, how about the word of the Lord being transmitted from us, being sounded forth? You say, well, why is it important that we all do it? I'll tell you why. If you lined up every lost person on earth, you would form a line that would go around planet earth 
30 times. And the line is growing by 20 miles every single day. People who've never heard the gospel that sets people free. Forgiveness, new life, new start. Let's pose an experiment. Let's say we rent stadiums all over the world. And we say we're going to have mass evangelism. And let's say that we could fill the stands of these stadiums. We would take one stadium a night, every single day of the year, and fill it up, go to different places, but we'd have a crusade every night of the year for 35 straight years. Let's say we packed 50,000 people a night. And at the altar call, when we ask people to give their hearts to Christ, let's say every single night, a thousand people responded, made decisions, commitments. I'm going to repent from my sins and turn and follow Christ. A thousand people a night, every night of the week, every week of the year for 35 years. By the end of that 35 years, we would be further behind the task of world evangelism than the day we started, simply by virtue of birth rate. You say, well, then that won't work. Well, that's a good summary. Sort of. We should do mass evangelism. We support mass evangelism, as you know, for several years here in town. And, hey, we're going to India to do that. But it must be coupled with one-on-one evangelism. Another example. If you were the only Christian on the face of planet Earth, nobody else was a believer, only you, and you prayed, Lord, this year, Just let me lead one other person on earth in a relationship with Christ. Just one person. And let's say God answered your prayer by the end of this year. Now there's two Christians. You and the person you led to Christ. You two get together at the end of that first year and you pray, Lord, let us each lead one other person to Christ at the end of this year. Let's say God answers your prayer. You evangelize. You each lead one other person. So instead of two, now you have four at the end of year three and then 8, and then 16, and 32, exponentially. You extrapolate that out. Before 35 years is up, you will all be fighting over pagans to evangelize. The world will have come to Christ. So we need mass meetings, yes, but we need just that influence, that influence. We're to be salt and we're to be light. Some of you tonight may be here. You've come and maybe you've been brought by a friend. And your friend said, hey, let's come to church. It's New Year's Eve. And said, church? Oh, it's going to be boring at church. You don't have any fun at church. They play, you know, the kind of music that my great, 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 great grandmother used to listen to. Not that I like to listen to. And the people are pretty stuffy there. And then maybe you've come tonight and you think, well, this is a little bit different than what I expected. But more than anything else is the love of God that you sensed when you came through the door and saw the faces of the people you're sitting around. God has changed their lives, and He can change your life tonight and make you a person that is not only satisfied, but is the satisfier of others. Wouldn't it be great to know that your life counted for something eternal? I pray that tonight, before the evening's out, you will have made that commitment to Christ.